Hi, Remember Me listeners. We know you guys love music, but do we have any vinyl record collectors like me? If so, you need to check out our sponsor, Vinyl Confessions. Vinyl Confessions is a carefully curated online vinyl record shop with a mission to heal the world of its pain one record at a time. This small business has an amazing selection of new vinyl records, everything from classic live shows, amazing jazz albums, and many new releases like Taylor Swift's Fearless album. Vinyl Confessions has given our listeners a 20% off code to go check them out. So you're going to go to vinylconfessions.com. That's vinyl without the I, V-N-Y-L confessions.com and use code RememberMe for 20% off at checkout. Hi everyone, I'm Rachel and I'm Maria and we're the hosts of Remember Me. This podcast is dedicated to preserving the memories of those diagnosed with dementia. We hope this episode helps you feel more connected, provides a deeper understanding, and allows you to learn to accept the good. Always, always accept the good. This is Remember Me. today's episode, you'll hear from our dear friend, Stephanie. Stephanie is the owner of a business called Compassion and Caregiving. She is an award-winning social worker and psychotherapist, and you'll be able to tell through this episode that she really has a pulse on what she's been through and can really talk through the trauma element with us. And she's just a really dear friend, even though she lives very far away in Toronto. We are so happy that she is on the podcast today sharing the story of her sweet mom, Elaine. So without further ado, here is Stephanie. Tonight, we are so excited to be joined by our dear internet friend, Stephanie. Stephanie is going to tell us all about her mother Elaine's journey with FTD. And just like always, we're going to jump into the same question. And that is, when did you first start to see some signs that your mom was kind of changing and acting differently? So... She has been exhibiting behavioral concerns for a very long time. We think she got FTD as a result of many other things from meningitis as a child. Like my grandmother would tell me that it was even when she was a little girl, she would say things she didn't mean and then she would just move forward. So it was like that my entire life. But when I really noticed a shift was right after she had had a car accident in 2009, all of a sudden the bills were piling up on our dining room table. 
which is very unlike her. She always did her bills. She was on top of all the bills and she became extremely verbally aggressive. And she was always a little bit verbally aggressive, but this was very intense. Like it was just, I'd walk by her and she would swear at me. So she just took it to a whole other level. And I knew then that something was really wrong. And how old were you at this point? I was 20. Okay. And I just want to go back to the personality, even growing up, would you describe her as like quirky or like odd? Um, My mom was neither. I would say everyone always told me she was very quiet growing up and she was very to herself, but, and she had a lot of friends and she was very, very social. But she did have this thing that she would do where if she got upset, she would like explode word vomit, which we think was part of what was going on in her brain. And then she wouldn't really think about it again. It's like it didn't even happen. And then she'd go back to being that amazing, kind person that she was. It sounds like she would like black out. It's almost like that. It was very weird. And people would just kind of accept that and know that about her. And she did it to me too, but it was very minimal. Like it would happen on a minimal level. And then as she got older, it got worse and worse. And then this up to this point, it was really bad. And I'm sure that sparked concern for you and the rest of your family. What did you guys do? Not like the first swear, but you know, what, what was kind of the next step? So it sparked concern in me. I'm an only child and it's, it was just me and my dad there. My grandmother was also very involved, but she didn't really see it. My dad was in denial for many years, so he didn't really agree or admit to anything. He would just yell at me and push me off when I would tell him about it. My grandmother would be like, yeah, maybe, but I don't know. And I don't think she wanted to believe that her daughter was unwell. Mm -hmm. So I started realizing it and I was doing my degree in neuroscience. And so I, I thought she had bipolar disorder because all of this outbursts and everything that was going on, I was like, you seem manic. Mm -hmm. And then she would sleep for a long time. So I I thought it was just like, you know, hypo and then manic. And so what I did is I got her a social worker and I I brought in this social worker to her house because nobody else was believing me at this point. And I said, I want you to talk to my mom and see if you think something is going on with her. And the social worker came in and she said, yeah, I can't pinpoint what it is, but I can tell that like she's wanting to, for example, do all these things and join all these groups in terms of social groups and gatherings, but then she can't follow through with anything. Like it's very weird. Hmm. And I said, do you think she's bipolar? And obviously social worker can't diagnose, but she was like, I don't know, like something is, my mom couldn't follow through with anything. And how old was your mom at this time? 60. Okay. So she just couldn't follow through. So then uh, after that, I convinced my dad to get a referral to a neurologist. And at that point, my dad started realizing things. This, it took a very long time for us to diagnose her, many years, because my dad was in denial. The system didn't allow us to get the referrals we needed. And by the time she got into the neurologist, my dad started realizing that my mom would be swerving on the road like she was drunk. Mm -hmm. And so he was concerned about that. 
And then she'd write out all this like word vomit on papers and you'd read it and it would just be like paragraphs of nonsense. Mm -hmm. And so we went to the neurologist after that, but it was, it was a very long drawn out process. How many years do you think? From when I started noticing things to that neurologist, a year. But what happened was that neurologist took my mom's license away because he was very concerned about her. And she was well enough to fight back. And so what she did is she called the College of Physicians and she made a huge complaint and he kicked her out of his Uh, practice, which to me, I was like, why would you do that? You clearly know that there's something going on with my mom. So we were at square one again. So then I had to try and find a new neurologist. And that took two years, I think, to find the new one. And the only reason they took me that quickly is because they said, the neurologist had this assistant who said she felt terrible for me, because I was like Mm -hmm. this young girl that was calling all the time, begging them to take my mom. He was a dementia specialist. And I had a feeling she had dementia at this point. And then they took her and the first appointment they went to was just her and my dad and my dad was in denial. So he denied everything. And so they said, okay, well, you're discharged. And I called back the next day and I said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not happening. You're giving us another appointment next week and I'm going to come. So it was, it was a long process for many different reasons, but I would say around four years. Oh my goodness. And during that four years, did you see an increase in behavior or different behaviors presented themselves or what was was her personality kind of like at that point? She started hitting in the middle of that. She also just started acting very bizarre. She would go on these large shopping sprees. Um, I remember there was one store that was closing down and they had a, like a closing sale or whatever. She bought all of this stuff like she bought a baby carriage that had nothing to do with any anything she came home with like thousands of dollars worth of stuff she would spend like crazy on her credit card she started to sign up for like subscriptions to like those flower Mm -hmm. delivery there was like a twenty thousand dollar scam on her credit card there were all these things that she was doing just very erratic unaware behavior Mm -hmm. and she she somehow managed to tell off all her friends and they didn't know that i mean you'd think they would realize it Mm -hmm. but all of a sudden nobody would talk to her anymore i don't know what she you know she must have said something because of her disease but no one would talk to her anymore i know you've mentioned a few times your dad was in denial and I think a lot of people are you know there's nothing wrong she's just going Mm -hmm. through a hard time all that but during these like behaviors where she's word vomiting or she's hitting or she's buying a baby carriage would your dad be like oh well she might have a baby like what was his reaction to all of that he would just say like well she likes spending money whatever okay so just very yeah okay yeah and i would say you've got to return this like what are we doing with this stuff Mm -hmm. and he did return it he saw it was an issue and he returned it but then he would just be like whatever it's it's nothing it's fine I remember there was also an incident where they went up, they used to go up north all the time to like a cottage or something. And she forgot where she was, like she went outside and she forgot where she was. And my dad came home very concerned. And then the next day it was like, nothing ever happened. Hmm. So it was, it was an interesting, that it took years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That dynamic is really interesting when you have 
a very healthy spouse and then one that's not as healthy yeah. and the healthy ones like no biggie and you're like yeah. well it sort of is kind of a big deal we right know and my mom used to do everything in the house like she was that head of the house that managed all the bills my dad would work go work and she would literally all the food would be cooked she'd clean she'd manage all the bills everything would be done and he still didn't see it it was very mm -hmm. interesting Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like we've seen that a lot mm -hmm. when we've interviewed spouses. Sometimes they feel like they were the last to know in a sense. And I don't know if it's something with them living with them and being with them 24-7. You just adapt to certain behaviors because it's a slow progression. I'm not yeah. sure. Maybe it's just denial. Maybe it's His, a mix. My dad is a very emotional person. He's going to hate me for saying this. He's a very <laughs> emotional person beneath it all. But he, he tries to show that he's this tough man and he would never allow anything to get beneath this layer mm -hmm. because he didn't want to get emotional. He didn't know what to do with his emotions and, he, and he's very emotional. So now he'll cry and he'll say to me like, I'm very sad or I'm whatever. He can identify it now, but he was never taught that growing up. And I think it was very difficult for him to feel anything. Mm -hmm. So he just did not go there and, and he couldn't, he was the tough man. And he must have a therapist as a daughter or something. He must. He can <laughs> access all these emotions now. I worked on him for a long time there. He was You're very right. resistive, very <laughs> resistive, um, but he got there. It just yeah. took a really long time. Yeah. Let's go back to diagnosis you're at that appointment where you made the second appointment. Set the scene for us. How did that go? So we went to these appointments and they would do that cognitive testing. We would do the mini mental um, with my mom, who again was very okay from that perspective. She could subtract whatever number you're subtracting better than me. She could remember all the animals. She could remember everything. Um, but it was really down to the brain scan and the aggressive behavior and when they looked at her brain scan they told us that her brain was extremely complicated and that they thought they didn't know for sure but they said this is just resembling frontotemporal dementia because she doesn't have alzheimer's she's not forgetting things she doesn't seem to have any other types of dementia and just the way she's presenting and they could see lesions in her brain and they could see you know that it wasn't a normal brain mm -hmm. uh, but she has a lot of other things going on so it became very complicated and then i got a call i remember i was at work one day and i got a call from the neurologist's assistant and she said I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. And she said, your mom has something called an encephalocele. Do you know? No. Okay. So my mom, so she had meningitis when she was around four and they didn't know what meningitis was at the time. So they just thought she had a really bad flu. And that led to her being deaf a few years later. Um, but what ended up happening, they think is that the, uh, all of the stuff from the meningitis, which is an, an inflammation of your spinal cord and your brain, led to hydrocephalus, which is an increase in fluid in the brain. And she had a hole, she has a hole, like there's no bone in between her brain and her nose. Hmm. So 
um, they said that they said that was very concerning to them because anything that goes up her nose can go to her brain. And so they were very worried about that. And they also told me that she had a benign cyst in her brain and calcification of her brain. And the calcification is common for meningitis. Um, so she's got a lot of stuff going on. And they just told me on the phone, like, they think her brain just gave up, like, really, because it couldn't regenerate itself anymore. So it was a sequence of us learning what it was. But again, took my dad another six years to admit she had dementia, I think. This would have been in 2013 okay. when, when they told us that. Okay. And from 2013 till now, kind of walk us through, like, how, how is she doing now? I so don't she, like the question, but kind of what stage is she in? I think, and no one will really tell me this because they don't know. And a few years later, they actually said she, they think she also has facets of Alzheimer's now. Mm-hmm but they don't really know because her memory is just gone. Um, But right now I would say she's in a later stage from what I see. She is pretty much bed bound. She needs a Hoyer lift uh, to take her to a wheelchair. She has four to assist to walk. So my dad insists that she walks every day just to get be mobile a bit. There needs four people to walk her. She needs assistance with feeding. She's on thin fluids. Uh, because she has issues with swallowing and she'll cough and she's aspirated. She is usually nonverbal. And if she is verbal, it's usually a swear word. Um, but she had mo- she's had moments of like really lucid moments, which I've talked about um, on my social media. She had a really lucid moment a couple months ago. But for the most part, that's what it is. She'll stare at you. She mm-hmm. seems to recognize me when I'm in front of her, like her light, her eyes will light up, mm-hmm. but she doesn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's her. And she sits, she sleeps most of the day and then she'll sit and watch TV and then go back to bed. Is she at home or is she in a she's care at, facility? She's at, she's home. at home. Okay. And how is your dad? My dad is okay for the most part. I think he's gotten very used to this. He mm-hmm. knows he will fully admit now that she's a very sick person. He will fully admit she has dementia. She also gets a lot of seizures, so mm-hmm. he will admit that. Um, and he knows and he, him and I have become a lot closer recently. We were very divided for a very long time when he was in denial. And he's very, very close to my kids. And so I think he's taken solace in my kids Mm -hmm. and really they bring him life and happiness. And because they come from me, I think he, he -hmm. therefore likes me more. I don't know. (laughs) Um, You done good. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, him and I don't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but we get along now and it took a, it took he only came around this past May when she was in the hospital. So it's been, you know, what, 12 years since she was first really unwell. And that's how long it took for us to reconnect. But I'd say he's okay. He's able to cry. He's able to tell me how he feels. He's, he knows what he needs. He does a lot of self-care and he hires a lot of support and we're lucky he can because he he has a very low threshold. He can't do it. 
his dad had Parkinson's and I think it reminds him of his dad. And um, I think he doesn't make that connection, but I I definitely think that he'll look at my mom and think of his dad and that gets him into a very bad place. Mm -hmm. So I think you're the perfect person to really dive into our season for a topic of really just understanding and presenting to our audience that like this experience is a traumatic experience and there are many little traumatic events along the way and as a therapist like how do you kind of look at how this is a traumatic event how does this affect you how how do you live with it so it's really funny you say that because when I was thinking about the season that you have and I was trying to think about how this has impacted me in terms of trauma I was like I don't I I don't know and then I had this nightmare the other day like three days ago. Obviously. Oh no, I hope we didn't give you a nightmare. I no, was just going to say, you're welcome. You didn't. Um, but I had a dream. It wasn't really a nightmare. I had a dream that my mom was in her, I'd say earlier dementia state where she was very behavioral and very aggressive. And we were, she was trying to renovate her house, probably because I'm renovating my house. <laughs> and she was trying to renovate her house and it was just a disaster. And I woke up and I don't know what it, I was so detached the whole day. And I realized, yeah, those behaviors, like those were really traumatic for me. The screaming, it was, mm-hmm. it was like, it was embarrassing to the point where we don't want to go anywhere. And it was traumatic because if I will hear her scream in those ways, it will bring me back to that time. Mm-hmm. It's just that in of itself was just it was a lot I mean I've done a ton of processing it was very traumatic for me to go through my first birth um and I know Marie we talked about this because I felt it rehashed all the grief I had felt it rehashed everything that I had gone through and it was a horrible time with my first daughter and it opened everything back up so I've done a lot of processing throughout the years as you know, I'm a big advocate for processing and therapy. So I did it the whole time. And I think I've come a long way, but there's definitely parts of it that are still very difficult for me. I've never seen her have a seizure. I know that's very traumatic for my father. I can see that because, and she aspirated in May. And when he found her, she was purple and he took her to the hospital. And now every time she coughs, like one cough, he freaks out Mm -hmm. and I've had to say to him because we'll be in front of my daughter and I'll have to say you've got to you can't be like that because she looks terrified and but that's his traumatic reaction to my mother's almost passing and so I don't see that as much in me at least anymore to be honest with you I I think I've done a lot of processing but I'm very removed and I think if I was living in that house yeah. Like when I walk back into that house and I spend a lot of time in that house, I've got to leave that house. Mm-hmm. Just the air and the feel and the memories are are very hard to sit mm-hmm. with. And mm-hmm. I can't, it's, it's like my dad once said, oh, we'll move to a condo and we'll give you our house. I'm like, I don't want your house. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be in your house. I don't want to live in your house. I want, it, it's, it's such, the memories are just so bad. Mm-hmm. Do you think labeling or or speaking openly about the fact that 
we know this is trauma and you know the example of your dad freaking out every time your mom coughs. Do you think knowing those trauma responses and acknowledging that this is trauma, do you think that helps us like move through it? I would say for an aware person who knows about trauma and what it is, yes, it can help like if that person is really aware and wanting to move through it and move forward. I think for someone like my dad, if I said to him, you've had a traumatic experience, he'd be like, what, what, what are you talking about? So I, I think, yes, if you're trying to get through it for sure, you have to be at the right place to, to identify it. And when you were talking about denial, the different, you know, the different stages of contemplation, my dad and trauma, he's like pre-contemplative state. Whereas I am, if, and if something bothers me, I'm like, what is it? I have to process it right now. So right. it just depends on, on where you are in the spectrum, but for sure that's, it's helpful. I mean, there can be re-traumatization with, you know, exposing yourself to the same events and same things over and over again. So it depends how traumatic an event was to then work with someone licensed to, to get through it, but it could be a way. I asked because I think for me, it was validating mm. and it's always validating. I think when I can stop and say, this is a lot, this was yeah. a lot that I went through. Like it was traumatic receiving the diagnosis. It was traumatic, you know, being in public with my mom and, and seeing her do certain things that I wasn't expecting. But I think in our society, there's there's kind of like an idea of what trauma is, I think, to the like the lay person who hasn't studied like you and Rachel that, mm -hmm. you know, trauma only is like these four things or, you know, abuse and things of that nature. But I do think that if we kind of tell ourselves this is real trauma, it, it's almost validating. Rachel, you're being so quiet and this is your topic. No, I'm not. I'm just okay. soaking it all in. I'm trying to process. I was actually thinking about the traumatic thing that I was telling you about the sky vodka. Because mm. like, that's what it is. Trauma is like, you go back there, your body, like, you can't even, you don't even know it's happening, but your body is like physically responding to yeah. an event. So anytime yeah. I see a specific alcohol, I'm like, mm, here we go. Like, I just, I can yeah feel it and I can yeah. smell it. And it's just, it's a very odd feeling because then yeah. you're like, oh, actually I'm in my own house and there is no right. sky vodka. You know, it's just, I think Stephanie, you said it right. If the person is willing to work through it, the awareness is there. Like I know right. like, oh, that's just something I'm working through. Yeah. But the person that is either denying it or not willing to work through it, those events are terrifying. Yeah. You know, and you just keep yeah. reliving and it's just, it's very unhealthy. Right. And they don't process those events. And unfortunately, the more they react to it, the more fear is attributed to it. Right. And it builds up on itself and you get more sensitive to those events. Right. Right. So that's exactly what happens. Yay us. Yay trauma <laughs> survivors. <laughs> I know everybody's different, but I do feel like this podcast and just so many side conversations I've had with you, Stephanie, like diving into like our experience with motherhood and stuff like that. In one sense, it all comes back and I realize how traumatized I am by some things, but it also feels like a release to be able to open up about it and speak with other people going through it. Because I think so much of this 
disease and like related diseases is like you just feel like you're kind of in darkness by yourself and nobody has any idea what you're living through. And so there's something very powerful about just really speaking out about it, even if it's not so pretty. Also, it's funny because in relation to trauma, even though I don't see it a lot in myself, like definitely not the way that my dad has it. When you said my mom's name, I haven't heard someone say my mom's name in years because that was associated with who she was. And it makes me very emotional to hear her name. And I get all sorts of feelings. So it's like in this weird way, I don't know if that's necessarily fully trauma, but there is this weird association with her name and me feeling like very, very sad. Mm -hmm. I get that. Like Maria will say like, oh yeah, look at the pink sky for Frankie. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And I love it. I'm always like, oh my gosh. But part of me is like, who? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I, did I come up with a nickname for him that he did not have when he was living? (laughs) No, people called him Frankie, but I'm just saying like, it's just like you said, like, I just feel like, okay, she never got to know him. Like there's just so many things. You yeah. know, like it yeah. just, it's a really, you're like, who's that? I know right. it's my person, but like, who? I don't Right. Know. When I think about her, I'm like, that, this isn't her. Mm-hmm. Like, right. You say her name and I'm like, that person seems so far away from me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And that person seems so, like, where did she go? Yeah. Where's, where is she? Mm-hmm. You know, cause she's still here. Right. And that's the weird part about all of this is that she's still uh-huh. here. But she's absolutely not here. Yeah. Right. I remember that where right. you're just like, I'm grieving you, but I'm looking at you square in the face. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. such, and that's like a whole other mind. F. Oh. Like you can't. It's the lucid, you, the periods of lucidity. Now I know they're going to go away because mm-hmm. there was a certain time when I didn't know they were going to go away. And then she would just snap out of it. And it was like, like a rock fell on my body right it was like but you were there and what happened Mm -hmm. but when it happens now i'm like i know this like the next time i come here she's gonna not be like this right oh i know it's just can we switch to something happy we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back Have you ever stopped to think about how nutrition plays a big role in the health of your brain? Most of us don't consume enough of the nutrients that are important for lifelong brain health. This is why we love NeuroReserve's daily supplement, Relevate. Relevate makes it easy to fill in the gaps in our diet every day. Modeled after the Mediterranean and Mind diets, every serving of Relevate contains a comprehensive, cost-effective bundle of 17 brain-healthy nutrients for less than buying a cup of coffee each day. We especially love NeuroReserve because it was founded by our friend, Ed Park, who dedicated his life to improving brain health after losing his father to Parkinson's and dementia. Ed has given our listeners a special code for 15% off all orders of Relevate, so head over to neuroreserve.com and learn more about their evidence-backed product, Relevate. Don't forget to use code REMEMBERME at checkout for 15% off, including subscriptions. That's neuroreserve.com, code REMEMBERME. I would love to hear more about the goodness that was Elaine. 
And so I think a good place to start is, do you know anything about your mom's childhood? Where did she grow up? What, what was she like? So my mom grew up uh, in Toronto. And again, I just heard that she was very quiet. But the thing that I always heard about her and that I always knew to be true and my dad knows to be true, she could never lie. Like she was the most honest person ever and the most sincere, kind person ever. And she would do anything for the people she loved. And if she lied in two seconds, her whole, she would start laughing. Like you would know in a second if she was lying, she couldn't lie. So it was amazing because everything you got from her was honest and you always knew when it wasn't. And then you'd be like, mom, you're lying. And she's like, yeah, I know. Um, (laughs) You're like, what did you get me for my birthday? You have to answer. She would would get all embarrassed and red when I would ask her something and she didn't, she knew she couldn't lie. And she would just, she was super giving always. And so even though like, I know when she was young, I heard that she used to, you know, explode which is probably that behavior explode on her aunt. And then her aunt would say to my grandmother, my mom's mom, you know, she does these things, but then she's like the kindest, most giving person ever. And she can't lie. And she's so caring and compassionate. So like, I can't be mad at her. And she was always like that. There was, there was one time where she went to a restaurant and they had a free meal for your birthday and my mom and her friend had this idea that they were going to use someone else their friend's id to get a free meal and my mom like apparently handed over the id and just burst out laughing like she couldn't and then they and then and then my dad was like we were so embarrassed we just had to leave the restaurant like i put money down and we ran away because i was worried they'd call the police like she was just she couldn't even do it um so that was that was her when she was young and yeah you only asked me where she grew up and I just gave you a whole (laughs) we love that I think that's awesome where did your parents meet my parents met in a very interesting way this was like my my dad's gonna hate me he doesn't listen to this so it's fine (laughs) um he doesn't even know what a podcast (laughs) is um but he will never admit this but they were like the old school version of online dating. Mm. My mom put like her um, thing in a newspaper article and my dad's mom oh my found gosh. it. And my dad was in a previous relationship and his mom was very adamant that he not be in that relationship. And so my grandmother set them up from this newspaper ad and oh they, were, they went on a date. They were older they were both in their late 30s and my grandma was like you've got to get married and have kids like stop being with this unhealthy person and they dated for two weeks and got married (gasps) oh my god shout out to grandma hey wait is the ad in the paper like a canadian thing (laughs) it wasn't even here it was in another country (laughs) that is awesome she she put an ad in another country she didn't like the men here oh my gosh that's amazing that's like a movie that sounds like a plot of a movie my dad will never admit to it ever like he he tells me they met in university in montreal and my mom would always (laughs) he would say that in front of my mom my mom would die of laughter because she couldn't (laughs) lie 
And she'd be like, okay, like sure thing. But yeah. And so my mom really wanted a two week engagement, huh? Jeez. Two week engagement. And I don't even think they really knew each other. Like, I feel like they always loved each other, but they didn't know each other. And now Mm -hmm. the love that you see him put into her is like beyond. It's it's really interesting to see. But yeah, that was like the really old school version of uh, swipe right, whatever, whatever. It is. <laughs> swipe left, bumble, whatever those bumble things are in a newspaper. Wow. And then when did you come along? I came along three years later. Okay. I'm an IVF baby. So they were older, so mm-hmm. they couldn't conceive. So there was this new thing that had just come huh. out called IVF. So my mom really wanted a baby. So they gave it a try and then I came along. And then now my most favorite question of the whole podcast, what was she like as a mom? How would you describe her as a mother? My mom did everything possible to make me happy in the ways that she knew she could. So she didn't really know. And I, again, I think this was because of her disease. She didn't know how to do it with words so much as she did with what she thought was right. So she would take me to all the activities because that's what she thought I would want to do. She would buy me all the things and she just tried like she'd take me to, to Disney World and she would take me on all of these trips because that's what she thought I wanted. And she just did everything possible to make me happy in those ways. She she had such a kind heart and you could tell, but emotionally it was hard for her, I think. She was very rocky emotionally. And again, I think that's because of the illness. And when you're parenting your beautiful daughters, does she pop into your head? Do, do you have memory, like warm memories of things that she would do? Is there anything that you do with your girls that makes you kind of think of her? It's funny because when I parent my kids, I think of my grandmother because my grandmother was a very emotional, attached person. When it comes to my mom, it's honestly, if I yell at them, I think about my mom because that's the stuff I remember, to be honest. I don't have a lot of memories of her not being like that because she's been sick for so long and when i became a teenager we fought like cats and dogs and so i don't really i think i was like eight when the last time we got along or nine so it was it's been so long ago that yeah i don't i wish i did but i don't you're so well adjusted oh thank you like that's i've been thinking about that the whole time like you know exactly do you, Maria, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah, like you. I don't have any memory of that. I don't do that like my mom. Like, but there's no, like, I like that. I can't explain it. I can't explain what I'm trying to, to say. So, so, like, you have processed so much of this, and probably because you've been going through it for so mm-hmm. many years, mm-hmm. plus your training as a therapist, yeah. you know, plus you're a nice, you know, empathetic very well-adjusted person yeah yeah um yeah you processed it all it's not and like I you're processing like, it with us <laughs> but I also think there's like a big sense of vulnerability like I think mm-hmm. people would be like I do parent my girls it's so beautiful when I think of my mom and you're just like that is like the mm-hmm. most yeah. honest answer I've yeah. ever heard yep oh thanks um, it's not the most positive thing but yes the truth is that I strive to be more like my grandmother 
and not yeah. like my mother. Like, that's just the truth. That's the way our relationship was. Mm. And I do think about that a lot. Mm. And I, I hate to say that, but like, not every mother's perfect. Yeah. And mm-hmm. my mom made a lot Maria of Maria and I don't know. What I'm not. No, wait, wait, Maria. I'm a disaster. <laughs> I make a lot of mistakes too, but I, I think I'm thankful because seeing that and seeing what some of the stuff did to me makes me a butter mother because I can think about what happened with her and I can think about my grandmother who took me in whenever I needed her and I can compare and say no I'm gonna do this with my kids and not that and I wouldn't know that and I'd probably make a lot more mistakes if it wasn't for my mom knowing what you know now does it make you feel differently looking back yeah and it, it makes it hard because i sometimes feel like i don't really know who my mom was a lot of the times and i'm tr- i try to figure out first of all i feel terrible sometimes i was telling you the other day i was looking through old emails to see if i could find something that she had written to me mm-hmm. and i was so mean I was so mean because I had no idea what was happening and I was so young and I, I, I don't know where she starts and where the disease starts and where she stops and where the disease stops. Mm-hmm. And so when I found out that she was sick, it made a lot of sense to me, but it made things so much more confusing because I was right. like, wow, okay. So was she like, did she have this illness my whole life? Like, who is she? Like, I know who she was. I know what her interests were. I know what her education was. And I know that kind heart in her body, but the behaviors, I don't know. What was her and what was not, I don't know. Everything you just said is so relatable to anyone on this journey is, Mm -hmm. where does your mom stop being your mom and the disease takes over, especially when you experienced all these first signs like so young. Like, how do you know? And then the lines get very blurred too sometimes where like, I feel like the disease sometimes amplifies some of Mm -hmm. people's traits. It doesn't completely, in some cases, it doesn't completely like change them. They were like a kind person, sounds like with your mom, kind person that then started to really explode. But sometimes it's like someone who was a little sassy who just started exploding more, you know, so it's hard to know. What I do know, and this is weird, is that, and this helped me make a little bit of sense of it, is that I found a letter that was addressed to my grandmother here. So my mom's mom from my dad's mom, my dad's parents were doctors and my grandmother here had sent a letter to my dad's parents back when there was no email. So it was a written letter asking for their opinion. This was before they got married asking for their opinion because they had seen something in my mom's brain. Hmm. My dad never knew about that. Wow. And I didn't know about that. So there's this weird thing where we now know that there was something wrong with her before my parents got married that they were aware of and no one told us. So I don't even know what that was like they just referenced something going on in her brain but we don't know what that is we can't find medical records from that and it was never shared with us so it's almost like they had this predetermined knowledge that we found out 
much later just based off of her behavior. And I sometimes wonder, like, if we had known that, would something change? You know, would I be able to process that differently because I could attribute a name to that? Mm -hmm. Would there be treatment that my mom could have gotten? Mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll never know. But that gives me some clues that, okay, when she did those things and I was little, I think that was her disease or I think that was whatever was going on. Wow. Thank you for being so beautifully vulnerable and honest. And I think you've touched on so many things that our listeners are experiencing and think about, but we might not have necessarily ever covered before. I think so much healing, like I said, could come from just knowing you're not alone in some of these feelings. You know, uh, we have this beautiful community that we can all rally around each other. And Rachel and I consider you just such a sweet, beautiful Aww. friend of the podcast, an amazing yeah, expert. You. Yes, um, you are. That we call upon. And I'm just so happy that, you know, we got to spend the evening with you. Me too. And as we wrap up, I, I really want to know in a magical world in your brain, you <laughs> think about how you really want to remember your mom and how do you think she would want to be remembered? And I was, it, I'm glad you asked that question because I was thinking there's something I've left out and I know my mom would want me <laughs> to say it. So I'm really glad <laughs> my mom was defined by her career. She was a very established musician, despite mm-hmm. being deaf. She was very proud of the degrees that she got. So I have to say them because she would be very upset. So she had a master's <laughs> in um music therapy and a master's of uh, education. So she was a teacher and a music therapist. And she was so proud of that. And she played the piano all the time. And that was her thing. That is who she is. If anyone knows my mom, it's she is this like genius pianist. Mm -hmm. And so she would want to be remembered as that she would want to be remembered as that really cool pianist Mm -hmm. and um the influential pianist and also the kind of person that she really is now we want to end on your mom's words so tell us what you're going to read so i found a card that my mom wrote to me this was after she started showing signs but she was still very aware and this is an example of how kind she was and something she would do all the time is she would give me cards. So when my husband and I went to Florida before we were engaged, so this was, I don't know, in 2012, I think we went to Disney and she wrote me a card. And so I'm going to read the card. And she told me to open it when I got there. Oh my so, gosh. so this is the card I have to Steph and Jeff. And then it says, hoping your trip is a wonderful one, bon voyage. And then she wrote, enjoy. You may ride some boats at Disney's Small World. That's what her and I used to do when we went to Disney together. Love mom and dad and Baba and my grandmother and Ringo, who's my dog. He's actually right here. So she used to do these cards and I used to be so embarrassed by them. And I used to think they were the, the dumbest things. Like I remember thinking, this is so stupid but it's not it's really nice sweet those little gestures right she cared she cared a lot and you can tell 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We release new episodes each week on Tuesdays, so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. If you want to connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram at Remember Me Podcast or visit our website, RememberMeFTD.com. You can learn more about this week's sponsor, NeuroReserve, by visiting NeuroReserve.com. And don't forget to use our code RememberMe for 15% off at checkout. This podcast is produced by Maria Canfiers and Rachel Martinez. And the beautiful music you hear is a song called So Damn Lucky by Billy Cat.